Welcome to the C3 Eastern Suburbs podcast. We're glad to have you tune in today and hope this message blesses you. If you'd like to visit, we meet in Glen Innes, Auckland on Sundays at 10am. You can also find us on www.c3easternsuburbs.org.nz. Enjoy the message. So the, the story is, is kind of widely known as the story of the prodigal son, or is it? See, because I think that that little title actually causes us to miss the point of the story and who the people who were Jesus was trying to address at that time. And it could be called the parable of the two prodigals, or it could be the parable of the two lost sons, uh, because both of the sons were actually lost in their own way. So you've got Act 1, the, uh, the younger brother, and Act 2, the old, lost older brother or maybe we could call it the father and two sons. But I think if we call it the prodigal son, we're actually missing part of the story, or most of the story, to be honest. And uh, Because usually when the story is told, the the focus is on the younger brother and God's grace and forgiveness. And we don't actually consider the older brother to be lost. And uh, there was a kind of shift in my understanding around this. Uh, A bunch of years ago at CCC in the Orange Coronation Ballroom, way back in the day, uh, this uh, preacher by the name of Gordon Fee came to preach. And I was really excited for him coming. He's like one of the translators of the NIV Bible. So if you look in the beginning, he's one of the key translators. and He specialises in uh, the Apostle Paul and Pauline theology. And I was going, okay, here he's coming. This is one of the actually gurus of the faith coming to preach. And uh, we're going to go deep. It's going to be some deep teaching. It's going to be awesome. And he's going to you know, unwrap and help us to all understand Revelations or, or it'll be out of Leviticus or something like that. And I thought, this is going to be fantastic. And he says, you know, turn to Luke chapter 15. We're going to do the story of the prodigal son. And I was like, come on. We know this one, you know, this, we, we've done, done this a few times, it's all good. Um, but he was, he was brilliant. And, uh, and some of the, his thoughts around that was the foundation of this, this series. And I've, I've spent a bit of time lately just trying to re-study it and everything like that. But what we're going to do is we're going to play the story. I could read it to you, but we're going to play it on the big screen because, you know, moving with pictures is always better. So uh, let's play the story of the prodigal son and then we'll, we'll get into it. This is just a refresher for you. All right. You got a story? Did it take you there? (laughs) Did you feel the music? Feel the vibes? It was good. So uh, we're going to take all this. We're going to go slow. We're going to go verse by verse. So uh, be ready for this. So let's go for the context. Uh, Luke 15, verse 1 to 2, it says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So in in the first couple of verses right here, uh, the writer Luke tells us, okay, we're in a public setting and and there are two groups of people who had come to listen to Jesus. So the two groups are, first we've got the the tax collectors and the sinners. They're gathering around to hear Jesus. And then we've got the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And they're accusing Jesus of eating with sinners. And these three parables are a response to the mutterings and accusations of the Pharisees. And we need to understand that primarily that these parables are directed at the Pharisees. And we need to keep that in mind as we tackle the story. So the Pharisees of the day, they divided humanity 
into two groups of people, the righteous and the unclean. Okay, so we've got the uh, number one, the tax collectors and sinners, and they are represented by the younger brother. These are kind of like the, the wayward sinners, the immoral outsiders, the curious, and, and they weren't following the Jewish law and requirements. They, they were living wildly, okay? But it's real interesting to note that the younger brother mob, they were attracted to Jesus, right? And his teachings. And, and they were pretty eager to gather around and hear what Jesus was saying. They were curious. They loved his stories and they flocked to him. And, and let's be honest, this really puzzled and even angered the older brother crowd. So the second crowd we got here is the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and they are represented by the older brother. So these are, these are the insiders, the moral, the moral insiders, the established, they followed the law, they did what was required. And, and so the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they are, they're, they're muttering, okay? I don't know what muttering sounds like, but they're going, man, this man welcomes sinners and even eats with them. Shock, horror. What's going on? This new rabbi, this so-called Messiah, this man Jesus, is eating with sinners, which was not supposed to be done. So to, to sit down and eat with someone in that culture was signified acceptance. And the Pharisees, they chose or tried to live as much as possible in separation from the unclean. And to hang out with and even eat with sinners for them, it was absolutely unthinkable. And so these parables are directed to these Pharisees and to address this. And, and it's Jesus' response to their stink attitude, right? And, and it ends, the story ends with this powerful plea to the older brother to change his heart and his attitude. And so often when we hear this story, the focus is on the younger son and the father's unconditional love and forgiveness, but it misses the real point of what Jesus was trying to address at this time. And because uh, there's two ways that we can be alienated from God and, and, and there's two personality types that play out even when, today in society. And in fact, there's the, the older brother and the younger brother thing, there's a, there's a whole branch of psychology which is dedicated to sibling placement and who's the oldest in the order and everything like that. And often where you're placed in the family affects your personality, and we can see it in society. And the tendency is for the older brother, not always, but the older brother is, is the people pleaser, right? The rule follower, the responsible one who obeys the parent standards. And uh, the younger sibling tends to be the rebel, the free spirit, the rule breaker. Who's those ones? <laughs> Who's the older one? The, 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 the older brother, are you categorising yourself right here? The older brother grows up to take the responsible job, settles down not too far from mum and dad. The, the younger child leaves home, uh, goes to, out to explore the world, goes lives in London or San Francisco or India or somewhere like that and, and disappears. Uh, it's, the, it's, it's the rule keepers versus the rule breakers. It's the status quo versus the rebel. It's the accountants versus the artists. Ooh. Oh, <laughs> we love accountants. <laughs> I'm not saying one is right or one is wrong here, but we just need to recognise them. It's the, it's the bourgeois versus the bohemians. <laughs> if we were going to political, 
which we won't from the pulpit <laughs> because we don't know if we can get, get too political, but it's the Conservatives versus the Liberals. So the National versus Labour. Is it the Republicans versus the Democrats? In this setting, in the original listeners, the Pharisees, they would not have been heart-warmed by the Father's love. When they sat and heard this story, they wouldn't be thinking, oh, that's a, that's a really nice story about grace and forgiveness and the Father's heart. More likely, the Pharisees of that time, they would be offended and absolutely infuriated that Jesus would even tell this story. They would have known that this actual passage was calling them out and their prejudice. And Jesus' whole purpose at this time was to shatter these categories and shatter this distance which had developed. And that would have absolutely challenged their thinking about what they thought about God, sin and salvation. And, and we're going to get into the fullness of this over the next uh, couple of weeks, but I think you're going to find it um, intriguing, and I think you're going to find it hopefully a wee bit challenging. But let's go back, because that's only verse 1 and 2, let's go back to verse 3. So you ready for verse 3? We're going to go back to the, the, the first two stories of the short parables. So we, first of all, we've got this, the parable of the lost sheep, so Luke 15, verse 3 to 7. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Here we have this little story of this, this lost sheep. And let's be honest, anyone worked on a farm ever? Sheep are stupid creatures. Like I grew up in Blenheim and uh, a lot of school holidays was out on the farm. Murray G, um, he owned a farm down the Rye Valley and we'd go on the school and we'd chase sheep. And uh, I remember me and my good friend out there and we lost a whole lot of sheep out. We forgot to shut a gate and we lost a whole lot of sheep out in the back country. Uh, at one time, they're stupid, they just wander they go wherever they, if you, the very place where you don't want them to go they end up in, and predators pick them off easily if, without the protection of the shepherd they think they're smart but they'll follow each other over a cliff or get caught in a fence and, and they need a shepherd now, now many rabbis of this time, in Jesus' time believed that God received a sinner who came to him the right way but in the parable of the shepherd and the sheep, Jesus taught that God, he actually goes out and seeks after, he seeks out the lost. And he, he doesn't grudgingly receive the lost, instead he searches after them. And this whole idea that God finds the sinner, he goes and looks out for the sinner, more than the sinner finds God. You know, we think, oh, we found God, we've had this major revelation. No, no, God goes out and he actively pursues us. He actually seeks us. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. In Luke chapter 19, which is a couple of chapters later, we have this little story of, of Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Okay, so Zacchaeus, the tax collector, is he in the younger brother crowd or is he in the older brother crowd? Younger brother crowd, okay? Sinners and tax collectors. So Zacchaeus in, in, in that spot. 
And so he's the short guy who's up, up the sycamore tree looking out for Jesus coming his way. And, and Jesus calls out to him and says, Hey, Zacchaeus, today I'm coming to your house. And, he's, uh, and so he goes down the tree and Jesus ends up at his, his house. And then goes on in the story, it says, The people saw this and began to mutter. Got them muttering again, the Pharisee mob are muttering. They're going, He has gone to the guest of a sinner. What the heck? What's Jesus doing? What is going on? He's going to the younger brother crowd. He's breaking the social norms, and the Pharisees are muttering again. And once again, Jesus, at this point, he states his purpose and he declares Zacchaeus forgiven. And he declares Zacchaeus a true son of Abraham. And again, this is messing with the Pharisees because how could Zacchaeus, the tax collector, be a true son of Abraham? And in Luke verse 19, verse 10, Jesus declares this, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He's saying, this is what I do. This is my purpose. This is my why, to seek and to save the lost. And... Um, in Barclay's commentary, it says, a great Jewish scholar has admitted that this is the one absolutely new thing which Jesus taught men about God, that he actually searched for them. And I love that. God goes out of his way to search for us. He leaves the 99 so that he can find the one. How often do we sit in the 99? Oh, it's a shame about that person. Oh, yeah, they were tracking well for a while, but it turned to custard. Come on. There's this call, we seek and save the lost. And then there's the parable of the lost coin. Luke chapter 15 verse 8. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And again, it's, it's this idea of searching all out, search until you find what is lost and then this, this celebration. And the silver coin, when you read about it, is like equivalent to a day's wages in there. The other interesting thing which I found when researching this is that in, in the Jewish culture of the day, if a man was to be engaged to a woman he would give her a ten silver coins and he would hand them over to her and while well, they negotiated the bride price and then he would go out and try and get the, the dowry together or to be enough money together to be able to build a house. But she would carry these ten coins and she would actually sew them into a, these ten coins into a veil. So it's like an engagement ring. So when she went out, everybody knew if you had your ten coins in your veil that you were betrothed to, to your partner. And uh, so to lose your, one of your ten coins is like losing your engagement ring. Who's ever lost their engagement ring? Yes, I see that hand. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, it's the lost matter. It's the lost matter. See, here she, she was losing something which was incredibly valuable to her. Have you ever lost something valuable? Required an all-out search. We were, um, just a couple of weeks ago, we, we were down in Tiana. Had a brilliant uh, week down in, by Queenstown and stuff. And uh, we're about to leave uh, this little um, 
hotel in the part of a camping ground, and uh, Harper has lost her iPods, ear, ear thingies. Airpods, that's the word. Airpods, iPods, earpods. It's all confusing to me. And, and she'd lost them. And, and it was like, and she couldn't find them anywhere. Okay, they had to be somewhere from where we had parked the night before to where we, we, um, we were about to leave. So it was the all-out search. And I must say that other members of my family were not so concerned. I was, we are not leaving until we found these things. And, and so we uh, uh, pulled everything out of the car, pulled all the bags out, went back into the hotel room, got everything, went through under the beds, probably, um, probably about, I don't know, half an hour. She, everybody else was getting grumpy. I was going, we are not leaving until we find these, in Jesus' name. And then we went back to the town, little town. We were in this little bird sanctuary we were parked and all the different places going, we'll find these stupid little ear bud pod things. What are they? Ear pods. Yes, anyway, we didn't find them. And, uh, <laughs> that's the moral of the story. But there is good news, people. It's less lucky I'm not God. <laughs> I emailed the motel and two weeks later, they said, oh, we can't find them. But two weeks later, I got a little email. We have found your earpods down the side of the couch, would you like them to be returned? And there was great rejoicing in the home <laughs> for one teenage daughter. <laughs> but it is, it's that all-out search. How often do, do, do we give up searching? How often do we give up searching? It's like if you'd go, to, go out to Piha and take your kids, like we've got three kids, and if we were to go to Piha and at the end of the day you pack up and you jump in the car and one's missing, Do you, do you go like Meatloaf, two out of three ain't bad, <laughs> sing that song and drive off? <laughs> you know? do you, what do you do? You look for that child, don't you? You call it all out search. You go talk to the PR rescue people. You, you, you call a search. It's missing. But how often in church life do we do, we do that? No child left behind. You know, otherwise it's neglectful, neglectful parenting. See, see I, I, I believe that Jesus wants to redeem people. I, don't, I haven't called this year the year of redemption just because that'll be a laugh. That'll be a nice idea for the year. That'll tickle people's ears. No, I, I've, I've called this the year of redemption because I'm believing that there'll be redemption situations. There'll be redemption stories. We might even have to bust out redemption hymnals. I don't know what we'll need to do. But we need to see the redemption of God to flow around our world. Who needs a little bit of redemption in your life? You know, who's got something in, in your world that you've lost and is missing, which is not there, which is supposed to be there? You know, last year, you know, was custard with COVID and everything. I'm believing that God would redeem this year, that it'll be the greatest year ever. Let's believe that God would redeem things, that he would call things back into being. But it's not going to happen if we just say, oh, that was, you know, two out of three ain't bad. It's all right. We lose some, so we lose some. It's okay. Okay, sarah, sarah, whatever will be, will be. But we can become like that, can't we? You know, and I want to call us as a church that we begin to get serious and begin an all-out search and that we begin to have a heart for the lost. They would say that the, the, the younger brothers matter that the older brothers matter as well. All people matter, apparently. <laughs> we need to carry God's heart. We capture God's heart. It's his mission. He's, Jesus said, I have come that I seek and to save the lost. 
that he's, we've come to seek and save the lost. The mission statement of our church to help people find and follow Jesus. We need to be doing that in everything we do. We need to pray boldly. We need to activate faith. But we also got to get off our butts sometimes and actually go and find the lost, right? We actually need to do that. And when they come in, that there will be great rejoicing. That there will be that sense of great rejoicing and a celebration, a banquet, a party. That that would be the sense. And as we unwrap, when we look at the older brother, when we look, you know, so often people don't want to come into the kingdom of God. They don't want to come into church because they are afraid of meeting the older brother. They are afraid that when they turn up, oh yeah, talk to that, but they come back and everything like that. But that, that's another week. So, come on, let's stand. Let's finish this this morning. We're doing good. My word to you is, come on, we need to pursue the things of God. We need to chase after. We need to bring redemption to bear in the name of Jesus, that we chase after. I was, you know, this morning I was thinking at, at David, there's a little story of King David at, at Ziklag, and, and his, um, the, they come and take his, his, his wives and kids and everything like that, they come over the hill, and, and he asks God, what, what should we do? And the word of God comes to him, and he says, chase after them, pursue, and you will recover everything. And there's something about the recovery of God that we come and we recover what has been stolen. And, and there's not going to be any redemption stories un, unless we activate that, that we go out, that we search. And I want to challenge you and ask you, what is one thing you could do this week? What is one thing you could do that you would see the kingdom of God established, restored?